As Matt said, we are continuing our Explore membership series, which is uh, really all about what it means to be a member of King's. And we rewrote this course um, a year ago, and we've had so many people start coming to King's recently that we thought, well, with all the people who have been members at King's for years and haven't heard the membership course we now, as we now do it, and all the people who have recently come along to King's and are like, I wonder what this church is all about, we thought, well, let's tell everyone all at once. That's slightly less personal than how we do it. Usually we have like a dozen or so people uh, around in a room together and so we can chat with one another. And we usually start the course by having um, a lunch together. Well, we're going to end this course by having a lunch together. If you, at the end of this course, think, yeah, this is brilliant. I want to be part of this church. Then on the 28th of August, um, Dan and Julie will be opening their house uh, to those who want to come along for lunch. And um, that'll be a chance there to share a bit of your story and to uh, just talk a little bit more and get to know us and for us to get to know you a little bit better And then the final thing we do in the process is if you're saying, yes, I'd like to be a part of this church, then we arrange for you to have a one-to-one chat with one of the elders and we hear, again, a bit more about you, make sure you're well connected into the church and you get a chance to ask us questions that you have and get to know more about what we are about. And so that's the process and that's what we're doing over this uh, summer. So if you've been coming to Kings for a couple of months or so and you're like, yeah, this is is great, I want to be a part of this, really want to encourage you uh, to say, yeah, I'm going to come along on the 28th Uh, for the lunch. It'll be excellent because it always is. Um, And if you've been here for ages and you're like, none of this is new, I just want to encourage you uh, to be uh, just a a fresh opportunity for faith, a fresh opportunity to say, yes, no, I really am part of this. It's not just habit. It's it's what God's called me to be a part of. And I love it. And I want to be helping others with it as well. So last week, Dan shared a phrase that we use to explain why Kings exists. And it's that we're about experiencing Jesus in community and demonstrating his love to Edinburgh and everywhere. And today we're going to look at the first part of this phrase. Uh, Next time, Chris is going to be saying a lot more about what it means to demonstrate uh, God's love to Edinburgh and everywhere uh, and what that means for us in particular. But today we're going to focus on the king of King's Church. The king who declared, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Also, the king who warned, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And the king who promised his followers, I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. These three statements are ways of understanding what it means to experience Jesus in community. Jesus, our Savior, Jesus, our Lord, and Jesus, our head. And we are going to look at each of those in turn today. <coughs> Sorry. And as we do so, uh, I'm going to highlight some things that we believe as a church that are quite distinct to us as a church, um, as opposed to other churches around and some other things that are distinct or even contradictory to um, our culture and possibly your experiences too. And some of these may be really hard for you to hear, particularly if you've been coming along for a while and you really love it, and now suddenly you're like, oh no, they think that. You might strongly disagree with us. And I won't be giving full explanations for why we believe all the things that I'm going to say to you today. And that will be frustrating for you. And it will be a bit frustrating for me as well, because you could really misunderstand some of the things I'm saying. And so what we will do is um, when the service finishes, and we've had a chance for everyone to to grab a drink, we're going to have a bit of time for Q&A in the uh, upper room 
up there. So you go out the foyer and then up some steps. And so just if you are in the upper room at the moment, we'll give you like 15 minutes or so um, to get out, or you can stay for the questions. Um, but whether or not your toddler wants to is, is up to you. Um, now, you don't have to agree with any of this, any of the things that I'm going to say. So you don't have to agree with any of this to come along to Kings and be welcome. Because we believe God has called us to always have our arms, our arms open wide and our doors open wide. Everyone is welcome to come in and encounter God. And membership isn't necessarily agreeing 100% with everything that I say today. But membership is the moment where we go from saying, this is all fine, to saying, actually, yeah, I'm part of this church. I'm on board with what it believes and with what it wants to do. And so part of the purpose of, of not just kind of saying it to all of you, as I am today, but to actually having uh, Q&A time and having conversations, one-to-one conversations made with elders, is that you can say, I need you to talk to me some more about that. Because he said like one line, and I've got a whole lot more feeling and experience about that. And so that's what we want to be able to make happen for you. And we want to hear you, and we want you to be able to hear us properly too. But what we most want to do is for God to be at work. So why don't we just ask him to do that as we... As we approach these things, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you, you water us when, we are, when we're dry and you bring life even when there seems like there's no life and you heal. You do that in all sorts of wonderful ways and we thank you that you are our saviour, you are our Lord, and you are our head. You help me now to, to share that and to share how good news it is and would you help each one of us here to hear it and to believe it and to trust you. However, however big a deal that is, Lord, nothing is more important than trusting you. Help us all to do that. Amen. Amen. So let's look at how we experience Jesus as Savior, as Lord, and as Head. He is the image of the invisible God. We're told the firstborn over all creation. He was with God in the beginning. He has always existed as God. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. Jesus is incredible. He is wonderful. If he was just those things, that would be more than enough for us to praise him forever and ever. But he is more than those things because he came to be with us and to live as one of us to rescue us. He lived the perfect life that we could not live on our behalf. He died a sacrificial death on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to. He was raised to new eternal life, triumphing over the powers of sin and death. He ascended to heaven to make the way for all who follow him to go and be with God as well. And he is reigning there now and preparing to return for when he makes all things new. This is our king. This is Jesus. This is very basic Christianity. This is what you believe if you're a Christian. And every church that is really a Christian church believes those things. But if you've got any experience of church, you'll notice that we don't all seem to respond to this in the same way. So if you just look around different churches, like, well, they all believe those things that he's just said, but they, they, they act differently because of them. And so what we like to do is kind of just say, well, because we believe this, these are some of the ways in which we respond to that here. And that, that's, what we're, that's what we're like, and that's what it will be like for you to be around us as a member of Kings. So here are three ways in which we respond to We respond to Jesus being our Lord. And the first is this. We're really excited. 
We think this is great news. We think when the Bible says, I bring you good news of great joy, that's how we should respond. We should be like, that is good news. I do have more joy than I had before. We think it's amazing that Jesus saves us. We think it's incredible. We can't get our heads around it. We can't get over it. I still can't. I believe. I obviously believe, but I still can't believe that, that, he, did, that he rescued me. They put me in a class when I was 13 with a couple of guys who actually knew him and who invited me along to their church. And the, the kind of church background I'd had that was helpful in some ways was suddenly transformed. And, so, and I began a relationship with him. He, he was so kind to actually speak to me, knowing who I was, knowing what I was like, knowing what I would spend the next few years doing whilst claiming to be his follower. Because I was like, yes, Jesus, great. And also all these other things in the world. I can definitely have all of them, can't I? And I couldn't, but I tried really hard to have them. And he was patient with me, and he put up with me. And then when I was about 20, he made me realize how empty my life had become, and he brought me back to himself so kindly that I have just never stopped loving him for that. I can't believe that not only did he give me a first chance, but like a second and third, and I don't know how many. And then there was that moment where he just suddenly, I just... It was like 22 years ago now, and I still remember it so clearly that it was suddenly I had my whole life was changed because God loved me and I needed to live for him. Have you had that? Have you had that moment? Do you know what it was like for you when you went from not believing to believing? Or maybe you never had that moment because you just were brought up and surrounded by people who loved Jesus so well that you never had that trauma and drama of that. But whatever it was, however it happened for you, Jesus saved you. He rescued you. He brought you into the Father's love. That is amazing. That's amazing. And I know we're quiet. And I know a lot of us here are British, and so we don't go too wild about it. But that's why we sing excited songs. That's why we maintain, even through pandemics, a sense of God is so good. God is so wonderful. It's not like we're pretending that hard things aren't happening. It's not that we're saying that, oh, everything's great. We aren't saying that. But what we are saying is that he is greater than any of those things. So even as I weep, even as I'm confused, even as I make hard decisions, even as hard things happen to me, he's still wonderful. He's still worthy of my praise because nothing, nothing can trump who he is and what he has done for me in Jesus. So... We want to accentuate the wonder of being saved and the reality of history having a happy ending for all God's people. And so we're like that. And our Sundays are like that. And hopefully our small groups and other times when we connect with one another are are like this. There's a place for lament. Of course there is. But ultimately, history is is, is going to be God's victory. And we, we believe that now. Secondly, we're relieved We're so relieved. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Jesus living and dying for us was God's gift to us, not our reward. We mustn't fall into the trap of thinking that we need to earn God's affection and approval when Jesus has done that. 
And we don't need to compete with each other to feel better about ourselves. Because as Timothy Keller put it, we're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And we're not going to take ourselves too seriously, including those of us who are leaders, because this really isn't about us. It's all about him. This is such good news. It's such a relief. This fills us with peace as we understand it and as we're experiencing it, that we have been adopted into the Father's family with all the security and love and care that he gives The third thing about believing that Jesus is our saviour is that we are expectant. Romans 8 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So you speak to some Christians, it just seems like everything's awful. Everything's awful. Everything is hopeless. And it's bad now, you just wait till tomorrow it comes. If you listen to some other Christians, everything is awesome. Everything is awesome, totally, always is. No, no, it's fine, it's great even. So we're among those who believe that God does great things, even in hard times. That you don't have to pretend that everything's great and you don't have to think that everything's awful. The darkness may get darker, but the light, the light is shining. And the light is shining brighter. Jesus declared, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we expect churches to grow. We expect that as people hear the gospel, they will respond to it and they'll give their lives to him and they'll come and be part of his church. Jesus healed people. Jesus delivered people. And Jesus promised, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than, he, than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. So that's why Jen led us in prayer today to believe for healing. Because God is able to do those things. And God loves doing those things. So we are expectant. We are not grimly holding on to what we've got and half expecting to lose even that. We have an outward focus. We start new things. We pray. We hope. So we're excited. We are relieved. And we are expectant because Jesus is our Savior. And Jesus is also our Lord. Now, it's sometimes suggested in the Bible that there's a nice, uh, well, not in the Bible, it's sometimes suggested by people that are in the Bible. There's a nice God, and there's a nasty God. The nice one says, I love you. The nasty one says, do as I tell you, and you aren't going to like it. We think that is a false image in all sorts of ways. We believe that God is fully loving and fully holy. He is fully gracious, and he is fully righteous. He is fully merciful and he is totally unchanging. All of this means that he is to be obeyed. And this is as much of a part of his goodness as all the wonderful things we've thought about so far. I'm going to make that connection for you at the end because I don't want you to think these are two separate things. They are totally, totally together. We're going to look at obeying Jesus as Lord through his word, through his spirit and through his church. So when we finish this series, we're going to give you all a handbook 
And that handbook is full of references to the Bible. And I'm currently driving Lisa crazy as she produces it for us by being like, could you just add a couple more of those? We just need to do that. Can you just add a whole more list of these references to God's word? And this is why. Because we believe that scripture is God's timeless word to all people with supreme authority over us. It's not out of date. It's not giving us suggestions. It is where we start thinking about anything, and it has the final word on everything. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says that all scripture is breathed out by God, all of it. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we submit ourselves to God's word because we're living in submission to God. And he gave it to us that we might know what it looks like to obey him. And Jesus did this. Jesus said all the time, I only only do what I see the Father doing. Again and again, Jesus said, I'm obeying God's word. I'm doing what God has called me to do. And if you're going to follow me, you need to do the same because that's what I'm doing. So that's why when we preach on a Sunday, we tend not to say, I had some really interesting thoughts this week and I thought I'd tell you all about them. Instead, we say, "This this is the word of God. Here it is. Here's God's word. What does this mean? What do we need to do about it? It's why when people bring prophetic contributions, we're always listening to them thinking, okay, does that fit with what we know God has said definitively? So someone might get it wrong in the moment, but God has not got it wrong in his word. And so we're always working those things out together. It's why our Path of Disciples um, program is rooted in what the Bible says and is about learning uh, to live that way. It's why we encourage people to make Bible reading part of their own daily life and walk uh, with God. It's why we want our small groups to talk about it, not just what did you think, but actually what does this word say? It's why we're trying to make a church that we believe is recognizably similar in its principles to the church that we see in the New Testament, even if there are practical and cultural differences, because that was a long time ago in a different place. By the principles of God's word, that's what we're trying to build our church on. We don't dismiss church history, and we don't kind of set aside entirely church tradition, but those things, are in, those things don't get to decide something if God's word has said something else. And so we're shaped by that, always. Now, believing that the Bible is God's word doesn't make it easy or simple to understand or to apply. It means taking the different genres of writings that we find in there seriously. So how are the histories to be read and understood differently to the poetry and all these kind of things? In the same way that you read you know, um, a, a message from someone you know in a different way to how you'd read a newspaper report in a different way to how you'd read a menu in a restaurant. There's, a, there's different types of writing require different types of understanding and different kinds of responses. We don't just quote texts, although there are loads of those text references in your booklet. We aren't just like, well, there's a line, so that therefore means this. We look at the big picture and the key themes that run all the way through Scripture. How do the original settings of any of the forms of writing, how do they they impact how we're to understand them? Whereabouts they are in the story of salvation, that that really matters. These things have an impact on how we are meant to respond to them, how we're meant to understand God through them, and what we're meant to do because of them. And a big part of my job is is doing that, is, is, is working at this, learning from others, sharing that knowledge. So to believe that the Bible is God's word means taking those things very seriously, doing those things really carefully, that we do understand 
what it actually says and what it actually means. However, as someone once said, it's not the bits of the Bible I don't understand that trouble me, it's the bits I do. Obeying God's word will bring us into conflict with our own desires and the way of the world around us. It will do that. And we expect this. We're we're an expectant church for, for great things and for this thing. So we want to help each other to believe God and obey him in everything. And I'm just going to give you a whole bunch of the more headline-grabbing ways in which this works out. So we're not six-day creationists, but we believe Genesis 1 to 3 when it tells us that God made the world. Everything in creation, therefore, is dependent on him and ultimately belongs to him. And so no one can say that the life they have is theirs to do with as they choose. Because it comes to him. We sang that song earlier. It's his breath in our lungs. It's his breath in the lungs that he's giving us. This is the, this is the key to everything else that follows. Because if you, if you get this, if you believe this, then everything else, the question totally changes. So on the very few occasions in my teenage years when I read the Bible, I was very much like, let's see what I agree with on this page. And we'll see. So I kind of sat in judgment on it. And it was when I came back to God or when he grabbed hold of me that I realized that this just totally had to change. I wasn't a free agent. I wasn't the one who decided what was right and wrong, how I felt about it. What I wanted to do was a complete irrelevance to what was true. I needed to give myself wholly to God. I needed, I, I, that was the thing that happened. For me. I just said, God, you're in charge. You're in charge. You just have to be in charge of my life from now on. I was doing that because I was so grateful to him that he had rescued me and that he'd brought me back. I was like, whatever you want, I'll do. But also because it was simply the only true way to live. There are lots of ways to live, and yours might be going fine right now, but the only true way to live is in submission to God. Other things. Jesus identified all human beings as having a fundamental flaw in them. Though we have been made in God's image, that means all of us have, have, have goodness from him in us, that image has been corrupted by sin. Jesus' this power both out with us and within us that, that goes contrary to God, that sets itself up in opposition to God, goes astray from God's way. Jesus is very clear that everyone is impacted by that. So if you think you can decide what pleases God without reference to him, as I did, it's a fool's errand. We believe Jesus when he said that he is the only way to God. He commanded us to tell others about him that they might be saved from the coming judgment. Whether hell has actual never-ending flames, I don't know, but Jesus didn't use that language to portray to us anything other than a real place of of horror. Jesus told his followers to baptize those who believed in him. That's why we only baptize people who have made a mature decision to give their life to Jesus rather than babies. Jesus affirmed what all of God's word teaches about marriage and sex, that marriage is a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman, and that sex is reserved for this setting. 
And given the radical direction that Jesus calls his people to go and to follow, it kind of seems to imply that his followers should only marry fellow believers. Jesus also, by his life and teaching, showed that singleness brings glory to God in a unique way and should be valued by the church more so than it tends to be. We believe that life begins in the womb. Jesus reiterated that God made us male and female. Differences exist between women and men which should be honoured and celebrated. Jesus also condemned what someone's called respectable sins. Some people say, yeah, yeah, all that. I'm fine with all of that. But Jesus says, yeah, you also need to be self-sacrificial rather than self-pleasing. You need to be generous and content with what you've got rather than greedy and chasing after other things. You need to challenge injustice rather than being complicit with it. You need to be humble rather than proud. You need to love the world around you but not be the same as it. You need to flee from any sort of sin and you need to become holy as God is holy. Jesus compared following him to the most painful and humiliating form of execution of his day, crucifixion. That's what it's like. And so all of us are going to experience some levels of discomfort as we follow him. If you haven't and you aren't, I, I think you're missing something. Some people are going to feel this really particularly. Some people, this will mean uh, it will feel like a whole area of their life will be cut off from them. I mean, something that causes them deep pain will be something they live with. Now, I've highlighted issues that are a big deal in our culture at the moment, or should be, and are therefore very likely to be very personal for some people here or people who you know. If we were a church in a different time, in a different place, we would probably be focusing on other things because God's way contradicts and critiques all human cultures. Now, some of you are going to be really relieved that we're a church that believes these things. And others of you are going to be feeling sick to your stomach. And that's why we tend not just to throw out loads of one-liners like I just have done. Because we want to talk with you, and we want to listen to you, and we want to be able to share with you. And so the Q&A we're going to do at the end of this service is the first opportunity to do that. If you want to meet up with me or Dan or Chris at some other point later, we'd love for that. If you want to bring someone else along, that would help you feel safer. That's fine. We, we, like I say, these are hugely important things. And we don't want to treat them lightly And there's a danger that when we do this moment, we do that. And so that's why I'm saying this, because I'm not doing that. That makes sense. Look at two other ways in which Jesus works his lordship in our lives. The first is that he gives us his spirit. He gives us his Holy Spirit, his presence now with us. The spirit who gives us joy is the spirit who leads us in obeying Jesus. There is God-given power available for all God's people without which we are unable to live God's way. So if you've just heard me say something, and you're like, I just cannot do that. Like, yeah, agreed. You need, you need the Holy Spirit. You need the power of God to be at work in your life to enable you to do that, to help you with that. 
The New Testament repeatedly shows people receiving a baptism in the Holy Spirit, a transformative experience of his presence and power that tends to be separate uh, from their conversion experience. But it's something that happens, something that changes things for them. That's why if you've been around for the past few months, we talked about it a lot. And they're still not satisfied. There's more of God for us to experience, more of his power, more, more a greater awareness of his presence that he wants you to have. Jesus lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he told us, you can't go until I send my spirit to be with you. And he has now done that. And so we make space for him in our gatherings. That's why people bring contributions. It's why we, when we, we're praying, we, we don't just kind of say, well, God, I've got my list. Here we go. We, we welcome him, and we're trying to listen to him as we pray. It's when we're making decisions. We're like, God, let's, okay, that seems right. That seems to make sense, but let's just, let's just listen. And sometimes by his Holy Spirit, he'll say, I want you to do this. You're like, that doesn't make much sense. It's like, I know, but I'm in charge. If you aren't experiencing that sense of his presence and power, we want you to. And Jesus also gives his people local church leaders. So to come into church, we'll say again in a minute, is, is, to, is to be in a, in a, in a family, is to be in a body, is to be in a community of people who are to care for one another. The whole church is to be involved in this. And everyone is to be involved in serving God and, and, and blessing others, ministering to one another. And we have loads of people at King's do this. Amongst these many roles in which people serve and these many ways in which people lead, uh, men and women, amongst all of this, there is a role of elder, uh, the word in, in Scripture is sometimes overseer, uh, another way of understanding might be guardian, who is ultimately responsible to God for the care of, of his local church. And we believe this is entrusted to certain men only because it's associated with the father's care for their family. Now, we know that's another significant thing to say. It's different from some great churches. And so we wrote a whole paper explaining our position on it, which you can download from our website. And even if you don't end up agreeing with us, I want you at least to see what they've really thought about this. Because I promise you that we have. Now, we summarize the role of elders with five Ds. Elders are to display. They are to live lives which show the truth of the gospel to the members of the church and to the watching world. They're, they're to live lives. You can say, yeah, that's... That's someone who's trying to follow Jesus. They give direction, praying and seeking God for where he is wanting to take the church. Now, we do do that. Dan and Chris and I, we, a couple, uh, at least once a term, we'll try and go away. Uh, just have a couple of days together where we're praying and seeking God. We're also listening and talking with people all the time. We've got multiple meetings with multiple uh, groups of people to say, what do we think God's doing? Or if he's saying this, what does that look like? How should we take that forward? So this isn't like we go up the mountain and hear from God and then come back down. But but there is a responsibility for taking a direction. There's a moment where you say, okay, this is where we're going to go. And that ultimately sits on us. There is, the third thing is, is giving definition, defining the truth of God as revealed in his word. Then there's discipline, protecting the church and its individual members from sin by warning all, challenging those who are sinning, and if necessary, barring those who are unrepentant from the, from the benefits of church membership because it's too serious just to be like, oh, that's fine. And fifthly, delegation, which I don't necessarily like that as the word that we use, but obviously it begins with D. So 
which is that our, part of our role is to make sure that we aren't doing everything by like a long way. That, that we want everyone to be serving. We want everyone to be discovering their gifting or just discovering what it's like to serve in something that isn't your gifting at all, but God might move in it. Believe that it's, it's part of how we mature, each of us as individuals, as well as a family together, that everyone gets involved. So one, one of our roles is to make sure that that is happening. So we're convinced that the biblical model of local church leadership is a team of elders. They're always referred to as, a, as uh, in the plural in the New Testament. And this principle shows that our need, <laughs> we need God and we need each other. No one person is competent to do this all by themselves. I mean, I feel that extremely deeply myself. But even like the most competent person you see doing this all by themselves, like, it would be so much better if you had help. It would be so much better if there was a team there. As I've said, our current eldership is Dan, who leads the team, and Chris, and myself. Now, because we're so convinced that grace gives no room for boasting or hierarchies of value, we're really not into that. Um, So we don't make a big fuss about leaders. We don't use titles and things like that. And we're highly aware that we're flawed people too. We get things wrong. We need to ask for forgiveness. But I also know alongside this that God has called me to be a pastor of this church and, and to care for its members. And that means sometimes I will have to obey God by saying things to people that they don't want to hear, like this morning. And that can often come to a surprise, as a surprise to people. It could be like this. It could be just in a personal conversation. And it's an example of two things that don't really seem related to most people. There's a sense of kind of informal joy that we have around here, and there's no titles or special suits or whatever. But, so we have this informal joy, but we also have this authorized leadership. And those two things, actually, they're really tightly connected. Because Jesus is just the best person to be around. And Jesus said that leadership was to be unhesitatingly clear and undeniably humble. He said, you... Now, he said to him, Jesus is our example of all leadership that we follow. And he says to me, he says to them, you call me Lord, which he uniquely is, and I'm here to serve. That's what he did. So however we're serving and whoever we are serving, that is our, that is our model by which we lead. So we relate to Jesus as Lord through obeying his word, his spirit, and the leaders here points. And Let me just make that connection again with that first section. All our confidence in who Jesus is and what he has done comes from what he has said, his word. That is why I'm so totally certain that he saved me from all my sins. If it's just me hoping that, that can go up or down or out the window. But if he has said it and done it and recorded it in his timeless word, then I am confident in it. And so I have this joy and relief and expectation because of what he has said and what he has done. And I also have this sense of, wow, following him is a radical thing to do. It is difficult for me, even if I was all by myself and it was just my own preferences, it's even more difficult in a world that doesn't love him. Okay, how am I going to work those two things out? I'm not quite sure, but I've got to. I can't just be like, yeah, great, he loves me. And I can't just be like, I've just got to make him happy and I never will. Both of those extremes are false. In God's word, 
we see this, this salvation. We see what he's done for us. We are so amazed by it. It's so wonderful. I just want to do whatever he wants. I just want to follow him. I just want to obey him. However hard it makes my life, it is of, has nothing compared to what he has given me. And, and some of you are feeling that much more painfully or just much more difficultly at the moment. It's just much harder for you. And he's saying to you, I want you need to trust me. I'm reading um, um, Jim Elliott's, uh, uh, like, uh, he, was a, he was a guy who was uh, martyred in, in, in the 1950s, I think. I'm reading his diaries and journal and stuff at the moment. He says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's what the word is, is saying to you today. There is something here that is so much greater that you cannot lose if you would give up that which isn't doing you good and you cannot keep. As we learn to do this, we'll believe what Jesus said. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So he's our saviour, he's our Lord, he is our head. And it was really easy to find images for the first two. And there were some pretty awful drawings of like a bearded head and like small people like making up his body. And I thought, that's not going to work. <laughs> and so, so that was the best thing I could come up with. We live in a highly individualistic culture. Almost anything can be personalized. Wouldn't it be weird if you had the same thing as someone else or did the same thing as someone else? Our whole expectation is that we don't do that. We do our own thing. And our commitments to others only last for as long as they're beneficial. And there's some positives about that, but it can really impact our experience of church in a negative way. Because the New Testament's language about individual believers is always that they are part of a corporate identity, the church. It's what it's always about. Jesus is the head of the church. But we don't only relate. And, and so when we think about our relationship to him, when, you know, if I say, how's your relationship with Jesus? You would probably say, I'm praying or not. I'm reading the Bible or not. I'm, you know, I'm feeling like he's guiding my life well or not. Those are, we'd be defining it very much like this, wouldn't we? And that's legit, that's part of it. But actually, what he wants to how's your relationship with Jesus? Well, I'm really getting on with this person here. I've really learned something completely different about Jesus from my brother or sister over here. I am relating to him through others as well as just directly. The body is one, just as the body is one, and has many members. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. So he is, if you're a believer, he's your head and he's my head. We relate to him as our head, both in the same way. But we are also meant to relate to one another and to a community. And Jesus wants to bless you through how he blesses and leads others. And guess what? He wants to bless others through how he blesses and leads you. And so if we recognize Jesus as our head, we must also recognize one another as fellow body parts whom we need. 
You don't need to call one another that. That's fine. But you must think of your, your fellow believers, particularly in your local church, as that. So if you don't attend gatherings of God's people, Sundays, midweek, they miss out on you. They do. Oh, no one knows if I don't come. Rarely true. And you will miss out on them. Definitely true. For the body to function effectively, its parts must know that they are needed. And then that they act accordingly. Chris is going to speak a whole lot more about that uh, the next time. Knowing we're a body also means that we are committed to being a diverse community. People from different backgrounds and nations. People with different personalities and preferences. People brought together by Jesus to do each other good and the world around them good. Which they can uniquely do as they work in unity. It requires serious attention to happen. It's not just like, oh, everyone will come in, sing all the same songs, pray the same kind of prayers, do all the same things. That's not, that's not, we're not trying to create a monoculture here. We're trying to create a Jesus culture in which everyone brings the gifts that he's given them and we work out how to share them and experience them all together. And when this happens, something that cannot just be explained through human terms is created because there is a God-given unity amongst us and our diversity is like, well, how? How are you friends? Because we're brothers, siblings. All these different people, so very different from each other, even when they're from similar backgrounds, brought together by God to make something beautiful. A community where Jesus is experienced. So, we've looked at what it can mean for Jesus to be our saviour, our Lord and our head. Like I said, you don't need to agree with any of this. to Be a welcomed attender at our services. We love that you're here. We'd love to talk with you about it. If you want to be a member of this church, we're saying, yeah, by and large, you need to be like, I'm, I'm on board with this. I'm happy with this. I'm not going to be trying to change this in any way. So there's different degrees of like connection and agreement within these things. And you can just ask me about that some more if you want um, in a few minutes. Jesus loves all of us. And he challenges all of us. And he wants to bring all of us into the fullness of his life and to be sharing that with one another. And this is a moment for some of you to recommit yourselves to that. And for some of you to start that process. And I've kind of sketched out some of what that terrain may be. God is calling you. Some of what that path might look like. And you're like, what will it look like when I'm doing that? Like, well, that's too far away for you to know just now. All you need to know is put your trust in Jesus. Believe Jesus. Follow him today. Just see how good he is. See what he's got for you. I'm going to give you some moments, and I don't know what you're thinking. That's fine. God does. I just want to, I just want to encourage you. It may help you to close your eyes to do this. Just to look to Jesus. Like all those things I said when I was listing all those stuff. Jesus said them. We we get them from Jesus' teaching. And he wants you to see that. And he wants you to, to wrestle with 
that which is hard for you, that which is difficult for you. And his wonderful love doesn't want you to separate those things. I encourage you, look to Jesus. Ask him to give you eyes of faith, to see him as he really is. Some of you, you just think, you just think you'll see a frown. And that's not the case. Some of you think you just see, he's just waving you on. Yeah, keep going. And that's not the case either. Look into a Lord, our God, our Savior. Some of you, he just wants to restore the joy of your salvation. He just wants, you, he just wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit again. It says that his right hand are pleasures forevermore. He was anointed with the spirit of joy above his companions, and he just wants you now, even in the midst of this. Like, why do I feel so happy? Because Jesus is Lord. And I just got a, a, a picture I had this week because I was, as I was praying about this. We're moving house. Um, we're certainly unpacking or packing everything away at the moment. I'm taking pictures off the walls. And the walls look really strange without the pictures there, and I was noticing them as I was praying. And I, f- I felt like, God was like, there are some people, there's, there's things, you know, they've been really prominent. You see them every day, you see them all the time. They're like a big picture on the wall. And God is inviting you to believe him, to take that picture down. That it's no longer, it's no longer yours. It's no longer appropriate for you. It's no longer... Whatever that might be, it might be something from your past, it might be a, something that you do or that you love, or it might be something, but I just felt like it, God just wants to, there's, when God brings change, the same things look different. And I, that was my experience, was the, the wall, I was like, what's different? I, something's been taken away. And then here's the other thing, there was a nail in the wall, and that took some effort to get it out. I had to get a claw hammer out. And as I thought about this, I was like, well, it's my job to sometimes just take that picture down. But I needed the power of God to pull those nails out, those things that could easily hang something else up on there. And God's inviting you today to say, Lord, pull those nails out. I'm never going back there again. I'm never going to be like that again. And make me new.